You're listening to Along the Narrow Way, a podcast that walks you through books of the Bible verse by verse to help you dig into God's Word so you can walk along the narrow way with Christ more faithfully. Hosted by Pastor Will Russell and co-hosted by Jimmy Miller. Join them as they help us understand the Bible so we can walk more faithfully as disciples of Jesus. Welcome everyone here at Bunno Baptist who's come on Wednesday night and welcome all of you out there online and listening to the podcast. We're glad that you are tuning in with us. Um, we're studying the Gospel of John. We've made it up to chapter 18. We're going to start a new chapter tonight. Yes. We're going to really start to see the culmination of the redemptive plan of God really coming to be. Amen. So um, tell you what let's do. Let's begin with a word of prayer and uh, we will uh, just jump right into our study. Jimmy, would you mind opening us up with prayer? Sure, we will. Thank you for this wonderful day, Father, that we could come to you and study your word. We praise you for that, Lord. It's a privilege and an honor and a blessing. And Lord, right now, we just ask that your Holy Spirit just come over us, help us rightly divide the word of truth, apply ourselves to your word and your word to our lives, Lord. And I pray we'll just live by your word and share your word and change the world by your word. And we give you the glory right now, Father. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, my friends, John chapter 18, if you're going to follow along with us, the Gospel of John chapter 18. Up to this point, for the last several chapters, really chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, we have seen Jesus in the upper room having the, the Last Supper, then giving times of instruction um, to the disciples. He's had this, this high priestly prayer he's offered and so on and so forth as they've transitioned out of the Last Supper, out of the upper room to leave Jerusalem. And that's where this chapter picks up. So let me read just part of it and then we'll go back and discuss it. <clears throat> chapter 18, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the book Kid, Brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Now when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Then he asked them again, whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way, that the saying might be fulfilled which he spoke of those whom you gave me, I have lost none. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? Then the detachment of the troops and the captain of the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. Let's stop right there and start to pull this apart a little bit. When Jesus had spoken these words, that's everything since chapter 13. When Jesus had finished speaking everything that he was going to say to his disciples, when he had finished his instruction and his teaching, they departed. 
It says that they left and went out over the brook Kidron. That's a, a big depression there east of the temple outside the city of Jerusalem. So Jesus and his disciples have now left the actual city of Jerusalem. They have crossed over this ravine in uh, the winter weather, in the, in the high rain times. It funneled the water. That's kind of how it worked there. They crossed over that to the Mount of Olives. That's where they're at. They're on the Mount of Olives. And so it says that there, uh, they went to where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Um, now, Jimmy doesn't give the name of the garden, but we know it. Mm-hmm. The synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those are called synoptic. That means they parallel each other. They tell the same stuff over and over. They give the name. John, if you'll remember at our very first beginning of the study, way back weeks and weeks ago, we mentioned how John's gospel was written after Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He's not going to include all the details they include because his readers already had read Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They knew all the details. He's giving some other information. So, for example, here he doesn't give the name of the garden because he knew the people already knew the name of the garden. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those gospels had already explained all that. But he, gives a, he does give an interesting detail, though. He says Jesus often met with his disciples. Yes. That's very interesting to me. He often met there. And so we get this idea that he spent a lot of time in this specific place, yes. this yes. Garden of Gethsemane. In fact, the fact, the fact is, since he met there often, and it says this, they entered the garden. So it wasn't just a random place. They had to enter in. They had to exit out. There's, a, uh, there's an emphasis here that it is a specific place. You know, you could hang around Bono Baptist Church or you can enter in. That's right. And so it's almost like, it doesn't say it specifically, but through inference, we believe this was probably a specific private garden, probably had walls, probably had a gate. It probably belonged to some private individual who was wealthy enough to own some type of olive grove or something who had allowed Jesus permission to often and continually go there. I wonder if it's Nicodemus. Could be Nicodemus. He was very wealthy. I don't know, though. You know, I mean, I we don't know. know. There's nothing that says that. And I don't That's even right. think any theologians say that. Well, <laughs> I don't think I just said it. There's no, there's no way to know for sure. But the point is, there's a specific garden. He often goes there. He had a place where he would go. Now, does that not remind you of... For example, when the disciples came to Jesus and said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And he gave them the model prayer. We often call it the Lord's Prayer, yes. our Father who art in heaven. But you read to that, do you remember the instructions he gave them? He said, but you, when you pray, go to your secret place. Yes. In fact, Amen. he says, go to your prayer clause. And he doesn't necessarily mean a closet, but he means your private place. And we're starting to get a picture here that this garden was probably one of those places where Jesus went and it was kind of his private getaway place to pray. Amen. And we know he vested prayer there. Once again, John doesn't record this, but in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we know at this point, Jesus tells some of the disciples, guys, hang out here. He looks at three disciples, Peter, James, and John. He says, you guys come with me. They go a little bit further. He says, you fellas you wait right here and you be praying. And then it says he went a stone's throw away and then he prayed. And you remember that prayer? Yes. Let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, not my will, thy will be done. That's right. So that's what's happening here. John doesn't give those details, but that's what's happening that's here. Yes. So that's the garden they're at. 
And they went there so often, the Bible points out, Judas knew of the place, right? Yes, he did. Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things. Well, how did he know to get there? Well, if you go back to verse 2, Judas, who had betrayed him, also knew the place. Jesus often went there with his disciples. It was probably their private area where he taught. There's no telling what kind of magnificent truths he bestowed to them there in that place. And so Jesus goes to this specific garden, the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, I think there are two main reasons. You can probably pinpoint more, but I think there are two main reasons um, he went there at this time. Um, This was his place of prayer, I think. Oh, yes. I th- and we know the prayer from Matthew, Mark, and Luke that he prayed. It was such, such uh, grief and such pressure that his sweat was dropping, uh, the blood was dropping like sweat. I think this was his special place of prayer. I think that's one reason he went there. I think there's another reason, and it has to do with the fact that Judas knew where it was at. Yes. I think he knew Judas could go there and find him, and I think he knew that Judas knew. And so I think... That Jesus, in his omniscience, understood, I go here at this time, Judas will come. So he is orchestrating his own arrest at just the right time. You remember up to this point, we've read it multiple times. When the Pharisees would try to get Jesus or a crowd would try to take Jesus, they couldn't do it. It would say, for his hour had not yet come. But we've already read in the previous couple of chapters, Jesus told the disciples, my hour has now come. The hour for his Torment, his passion is what theologians call it. The the time for his passion, for his crucifixion had come. Mm -hmm. And so being divine, being God, he orchestrated all this and went to the place at the time where he knew Judas would come to find him. He was in full control the whole time. That's that's just so amazing. And you know what's amazing? They often met there and he's praying in this place. And it's one of his, obviously one of his spots that he likes to pray at. Probably one of the most places that he prays. Mm-hmm. But he's, the whole time he's knowing that's the spot where he's going to get portrayed and arrested. He knows all the, the bad things that are going to happen to him. But I think Jesus also gives an example of how the power of prayer can get you through the midst of troubles. Even, in, even if you're in, play, in the very spot where it's going to happen, you can get one-on-one with the Father. And beautiful things can happen. Well, if you go back, we won't take time tonight to do it, but if you were to go back to any of the other Gospels and read that prayer time Jesus had, of course, he cries out three different times. He knows what's about to befall him. He knows what's going to be required of him. He knows the torment, the shame, the humiliation, the suffering that the cross is going to bring. And he's talking to the Heavenly Father. And he's like, okay, Father, I know the divine plan. I know what's supposed to play out. If there's any other way, to redeem man from sin. If there's any other way to bring forgiveness to humanity, let's do it that way. But nevertheless, if this has to be done, I'll do it. And he he prays that three times. After that third prayer, when you go back and study that, you see Jesus arise and he's resolute. He's strengthened. He's ready. Through that prayer time, he became resolute in, here's what's fixing to happen. I'm ready to do it. Let's go. You know, and he didn't really pray for himself. He no. prayed for others. Mm-hmm. And then God mm-hmm. gave him the strength. That's right. You know, and, 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 you know, and ministered to him. Angels ministered to him. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that. You, you can read all that. People go back and read that. I mean, it's just a wonderful moment. And the power of prayer is just displayed. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Well, picking up here, Judas has received a detachment of troops, it says, a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees. They came with lanterns, torches, and weapons. So we see here that Judas, who had already made prearrangements with the chief priests to betray Jesus, He'd already been paid. He'd already gotten everything taken care of here. He'd made all of his arrangements. He has been issued a detachment of troops. Now, we don't get the full picture here. It sounds like he just had oh, a few of the temple guards. But honestly, the troops that came with Judas consisted of regular Roman soldiers, fully trained professional soldiers, as well as temple guards. Yes. So you had a Roman cohort in Jerusalem. Now, a Roman cohort, it would consist of anywhere between 600 to 1,000 Roman soldiers. Mm. There's a Roman cohort in Jerusalem because it's the time of Passover. It's a time where tensions run high. They bring in more soldiers just to make sure nothing happens. So there's a full cohort. That's the word for that. They're in Jerusalem. Now, it's very unlikely that they sent the full regiment of the full cohort because they would have been dispersed. Most scholars believe there were probably 200 Roman soldiers with Judas. Along with that, you have the temple guard. That's the, the temple police yes. um, that came. Along with them, you have officials. In verse 12, you see that it was one of the captains and then the officers that came forward. Mm -hmm. So this was important enough that the Roman government sent part of their professional soldiers with a commanding officer. And of course, the temple guard came with probably some of the chief priests along with them. Right. And so that's who showed up with Judas. Um, it's a pretty, pretty overwhelming force here. Um, so you have, basically you have, think of it this way, you have pro professional Jewish police officers that police the temple and you have professional Roman soldiers. They're all together making up a force that has come to arrest one person in the form of Jesus. They're being led by Judas, and there's some of their commanders, some of their officials with them. So they had this giant mob of people with lanterns and torches and weaponry. They're coming to get Jesus. Now, look here at verse 4. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said, whom are you seeking? Remember the gospel of John. We've always pointed this out as we studied. John is all about pointing out the deity of Christ. Amen. Yes. Over and over and over again, John through his book drives us back to the reality that Jesus is God incarnate, God in human form. Once again, verse four, he does that. Jesus knew they were coming. Jesus knew what was playing out. How? Because he's omniscient. That's right. He has divine knowledge. He's God in human form. That's how he knew. That's right. And so Jesus calls out, whom are you seeking? And they answer, verse 5, they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Some of your Bibles say the Nazarene there. Same thing. Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Now when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. I've always found this very interesting, Jimmy. Me too. Me too. Jesus says, hey, who are you looking for? We're looking for Jesus from Nazareth. Oh, that's me. <laughs> I am he. Now, in the original Greek, the word he is not there. In the original Greek, if you read this verse, Jesus answered, 
I am. That's important. Another I am statement. Another I am statement. If you go back to Exodus chapter 3, when Moses asked the name of God, God gives his name. I am. am. We've seen it through the Gospel of John multiple times. Jesus says, I am. Once again, he says, I am. He is using the name for God. He's declaring, I am. I am God. He speaks the name of God. And look what happens to this giant mob of professional policemen, professional soldiers, and everyone who was with them. It says they drew back and fell to the ground. That's interesting because if they're Roman soldiers, Roman soldiers don't bow down to Jews. Roman soldiers, these are trained professionals. This isn't just a bunch of old good old boys that loaded up in the pickup truck to go catch somebody. These are professional soldiers prepared. They're prepared for trouble because it says they come armed ready. That's right. They're ready for trouble. They're prepared. They're equipped. Yet when Jesus speaks his name, merely speaking his name, they fall to the ground. He had complete power and authority in this whole situation. I mean, you recognize it when you're in the presence of Jesus. If you're lost or saved, Mm -hmm. I guarantee for the lost, there will be a day that you will recognize the authority of Jesus. Well, the Bible, it's going to happen. The Bible talks about how there will come a day where every knee will bow before him. Every tongue will confess he's Lord. There's no denying it anymore. There's a good picture of it right there. Well, these are all people coming to arrest Jesus. These aren't followers of Christ. These are not believers in Jesus. These are people whose hearts have been hardened against him. And yet, even at the sound of his name, they fall. The the enemies of Jesus, Mm. they can't stand up to his power. Not even his name. Mm -hmm. Not even the name of God can stand up to it. That's right. So if he spoke his name with such authority and power that those soldiers fell down, unable to do anything, we must understand that here in just a moment when he allows himself to be bound and taken away, it's because he did allow it. They didn't take him by force. They didn't just grab him and make him do something. He allowed this entire thing to happen. He willingly allowed this to happen. He, He, in order to fulfill the redemptive plan that required his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, he went along with this and allowed these evil men to subdue him and take him. He allowed it all to happen. And so... Jesus maintains control. Even when he's being arrested, he's still in control. He's granting those who arrest him the power to do it because he has the authority to make them just fall over if he wants to. Now, you'll note that John threw Judas in there. Did you see see that? It talks about Jesus answered them and it says, and Judas who betrayed him also stood with them. Kind of a little side note, John just stuck in there about Judas Because Judas is just listed among those who are there to get Jesus. He didn't have any special power. He didn't have any special position. He didn't have any special ability. Oh, Judas was able to betray Jesus. No, he was allowed to betray Jesus. That's right. He didn't have anything special up over Jesus. He's just part of the crowd. Jesus told him to go do it. Jesus told him to go do it. Go do what you're going to do and do it quickly. In John 13, he dispatched him to go do it. That's right. That's right. Judas was nothing more than a pawn used by Satan. The end. Amen. You know? Amen. And that's pretty much how it ends for him. And so uh, when, when you talk to people, sometimes they're like, well, you know, Judas, he pulled one over. No, he didn't. 
No, he didn't. Jesus knew the whole thing and he orchestrated it to allow Judas to do what he did. So he says, who are you seeking? He says, Jesus. They say Jesus and Jesus answers, look, I've told you I'm he. I'm in verse eight. I've told you I'm he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way that the saying might be fulfilled, which he spoke of those whom you gave me, I lost none. So Jesus now turns his attention to his disciples. Jesus establishes, okay, you're here for me. Let me tell you who I am. Let me see my power. They see the demonstration of his power. And he says, okay, now tell me again who you're after. Jesus of Nazareth. Okay, I've told you, that's me. You're after me. So all these other fellows, you let them go. Don't mess with them. Now, there's a legal thing Jesus is doing here. He had them repeat their order. Their order was to seek Jesus of Nazareth. They publicly declared, here's what we've been ordered to do. What they were doing was they were publicly stating what they had been granted authority for. You see, Roman soldiers couldn't just arrest somebody without authority. Temple guards couldn't just go and grab someone without authority. And so they were declaring, we have been granted authority to get Jesus. They legally couldn't touch the disciples. Jesus is drawing that point out. Okay, here I am. You can't touch them. And so, MC Hammer, right? That's can't right. touch this. Can't anyway, <laughs> so he's, he's making sure his disciples are cared for and protected. And it says this was done so that his own words would be fulfilled. Because you remember when he was praying in John 17? He's, he's praying to God the Father. He says, Father, of these you have given me, I have lost none. Except for Judas who went on his own. But I've lost none you've given me. And so those words he's making sure are fulfilled. He's stepping in to protect his disciples. And so he's making sure they are left alone. Now, Verse 12, I'm skipping a thing right quick just to point out something. Verse 12, then the detachment of troops and the captain, the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus. Here's the guy who spoke his name and they fell over, right? They still have the audacity to come and try to arrest him. And he's going to perform one last miracle right in front of them that they could look at and say, whoa, wait a minute. This guy could be the Messiah. So let's look at that. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's servant, cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. John points that out because it becomes important later on. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into the sheath, shall I not drink the cup which the Father has given me? Once again, John here skips over details Matthew, Mark, and Luke give us. Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us Jesus did tell Peter to put the sword up, but he also picked up that ear and put it back on that guy's head. He healed the man. He fixed the guy's head. Now, let's kind of break this apart. Here I am, a disciple. I believe Jesus is the Messiah. Part of me still believes, even though he's told me he's going to die and rise again, part of me still believes the Messiah is going to set up his earthly kingdom. I just see him speak his name and the Roman soldiers and the temple guards fall down helpless. As a disciple, in my mind, do all of a sudden get kind of, hey, it's time. It's on now. Look what Jesus just did. Let's get after it, boys. 
So is Peter just so excited that, wait a minute, Jesus is moving right now. Look what he just did. Does he pull out a sword and go to work? I'm wondering. I don't know. Well, in Luke chapter 22, verse 49, Luke says the disciples at that moment, Jesus speaks and all that. They say, Jesus, is it time? Do we pull out our swords? But Peter reacted before he got the answer. Yeah, of course. Peter didn't wait for the answer. The disciples asked Jesus, do we pull out our swords? And before Jesus responded, Peter's already swinging at some guy's head. And it says he cut off his head. The Bible doesn't say it this way, but I honestly believe he's probably chopping, trying like to chop the guy's head off and he probably ducked and whacked his ear off or something mm -hmm. like that. That's what I think happened. Um, but anyway, nonetheless, Peter draws out his sword and goes to town swinging, whacking. He hits this servant of the high priest, chops off his ear. Jesus heals him. But then Jesus turns his attention to Peter and he rebukes Peter. He gets on to Peter. Peter, put your sword away. Put it in the sheath. You could almost hear him saying, Peter, we've talked about this. Shall I not drink the cup which the Father has given me? Peter, we've already been through this. Remember, remember in the Gospels where Jesus says, um, who does the world say I am? Oh, some say Elijah, some say John. Okay, fine. Who do you say I am? Remember Peter said, well, you're the Christ. You're the son of God. And Jesus said, Peter, that's great. Now, you didn't get that from anyone else. God gave you that. So Peter is clicking. And just right after that, Jesus talks about, now, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to die. And Peter grabs him and says, oh, no, Jesus, that's not going to happen. You're not going to, that's not going to happen to you, Jesus. And Jesus says, Peter, you get behind me like Satan. This is going to happen. I'm going to do what I'm here to do. They've already been through all this. So you can almost hear Jesus saying, Peter, come on, man. We've been through it. Shall I not drink this cup? <laughs> Shall I not drink this cup means, should I not endure divine judgment to pay for sin like I've always told you I'm going to? Should I not die on the cross like I have to do for everyone to be forgiven? Should I not do that and rise from the dead that I could give eternal life to everyone who would ask? Should I not do this, Peter? This is the reason I came. This is the reason I've been here. This is the reason I'm allowing this to happen just for this. Peter, put your sword away. Put your sword away. And so you see a, you see a Peter who he's taking action. He's taking action for Jesus, but he's taking the wrong action because he didn't stop long enough to listen to the answer that they asked for in Luke 22. Right. How many of us jump into something with good intentions, good motives? Hey, we're going to do it for Jesus. But we never stopped long enough to listen to what he said to do to begin with. That's right. Guilty. <laughs> and we'll find Jesus saying, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait just a minute. No. <laughs> Back up a little bit. I mean, we need to be eager to serve. We need to be eager to work. We need to be able, able to be brave and, and excited about serving. But sometimes we need to ask what to do and then listen for him to tell us. That's right. Then take action. Peter forgot that. So that brings us down, what, to verse 12. Let's try to chug through just a little bit more. Then the detachment of troops and the captain of the officials of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. And they led him away to Ananias first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. 
Now it was Caiaphas who advised the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for Jesus. So let's just try to cover those. I know we're getting close to time. Let's try to cover uh, that right there, those couple of verses. So it's very clear that the Jewish authorities, the temple police arrested Jesus because they took him to Ananias. They didn't take him to the Roman Praetorium. They didn't take him before Pilate immediately. They took him to Jewish officials. So the Jewish temple guard, that's who did the arresting officially. They arrested Jesus and um, they took Jesus to Ananias first. Now, if you don't know the history, that's a little bit weird because who's Ananias and why is he even in the mix? Ananias was the high priest for the Jews. From AD 6 to AD 15, he served in that position. The Roman governor removed Ananias and three years later put in Caiaphas. Now Ananias could still be called high priest. It's kind of like the way we do our president. You are elected president, then for the rest of your life, they're going to refer to you as president. That's why they call Ananias high priest here. He wasn't serving in that position, but he had been in that position. So for the rest of his life, he would be called high priest. And so, and honestly, according to the Old Testament law, the high priest served for life. They couldn't be put in and taken out, but the Romans authorities obviously didn't recognize the Old Testament. So they did what they wanted to. But anyway, so that's why they went to Ananias. He probably was one of the most powerful, influential people in Jerusalem and in Jewish life. He had multiple sons who had served as high priest, and now his son-in-law was high priest. He was uh, very powerful. In fact, he controlled the marketplace around the temple. You know how when people came to the temple to make sacrifices, a lot of times they had to buy the sacrifice? You know, the, the, the priest at the temple had to declare your animal perfect before he could use it. Well, they had a system set up where they would declare your animal flawed and you'd have to buy one of theirs, only they jacked the price way up. Ananias got a cut off of every one of those. Mm. And if you didn't have the right money, you had to go exchange your money. Only when you exchanged your money, they would charge you a crazy percentage to do that. Ananias got a cut off that. Ananias had his hands in so much of that that it was called the market of Ananias. He got so much, he got rich off of all this stuff. Amen. He was a crooked dude, but he had a powerful position. And so they took Jesus to Ananias. And this is where Jesus' ordeal really begins, before Ananias. Um, he starts there, then he's moved to Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin, the ruling council of the Jews. Um, Caiaphas, as the high priest, actually serving, was really the only one who could make an accusation against someone before Pilate. For a criminal to be charged before the Romans, charged by the Jews, only the high priest could make that charge. And so Jesus was going to have to end up before Caiaphas before it was all said and done. But of course, the charge is already predetermined. The verdict is already predetermined. They already have it all worked out. Mm -hmm. This is all formality that they're going through now. It's all just formality. Um, now, it says Caiaphas was the one who advised the Jews that it was expedient for one man to die for the people. That's referring back to John chapter 11, where they're trying to figure out what to do with Jesus because, man, what if people really follow him? And what if this happens? What if we lose our power? And Caiaphas is the one that says, look, it'd be better to kill this one dude than for us to lose our power 
It'd be better for us to kill this one fella than the whole Sanhedrin to lose its influence. Let's get rid of this dude. And from that point forward, they're trying. They're trying to kill him. They're trying to find a way to kill him. So that's what's happening. Now, boy, I don't want to stop. I'm going to keep pressing on. I'm going to keep pressing on. It'll be all right. Verse 15. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Now, that's something the other gospels don't tell us there. Yeah, that's right. Now, that disciple was known to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door outside. Then the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, are you also, or excuse me, are you not also one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. Now the servants and officers who had made a fire of coal stood there for it was cold and they warmed themselves and Peter stood with them and warmed himself. So here we see verse 15, Peter and another disciple are following this crowd. Now, if, you, if you're familiar with Matthew, Mark and Luke, you know they kind of dispersed. The disciples kind of hit the road. Now they've rallied back around and you have Peter and this unnamed disciple following. Not right there in the group, but probably back where they could see what was happening. They go into Ananias' house. And, well, this other disciple was allowed in. He went in. It says he was known by the household. Now, the other disciple's not named. There are different theories on who it might have been. The most reasonable and the one that has the most evidence is that this was probably John himself. Now, you can argue that because I can't prove it. And there are other theories out there of who it might be. Jimmy, do you have any theories of who you think I, it might be? I have, no, I have no idea. It'd have to be somebody that was, I mean, obviously connected to the temple a well, lot. I mean, uh, some people want to say, well, maybe Nicodemus, maybe Joseph Arimathea and so forth. Well, Joseph Arimathea had not yet publicly acknowledged he follows Jesus. No. I don't know if Nicodemus had yet or not, but Nicodemus wouldn't have had time to know what was happening and get there. And he's going to be present with the Sanhedrin. So he's probably not there. John's family, of course, were fishermen. Mm -hmm. um, the sons of Zebedee, mm -hmm. the Zebedee fishing business. The Bible describes their fishing business as being so prolific that they were wealthy enough to hire servants themselves. They were probably a more prominent family. Mm -hmm. And there's historical records that show that John probably delivered fish and conducted business with the high priest's household. Ananias' household. Very much good. And so John was most likely known of the household because he had done business with them. Mm -hmm. And there's even other historical evidence written by first century um, historian that John's, John through his mother could have been related to Elizabeth. You remember Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother, mm -hmm. whose husband was a priest. So John could have been part of a priestly line through his mother. That's all. Now that's historical. That's none of that's from the scriptures. So that would have made him part of this inner circle. Yeah. There's even other writings that refer to John as a priest. Once again, none of this in the Bible. This is all just historical writings. Yeah, that, that's what I was going to say. The only way you can probably get any idea who that disciple is to do it historical search on mm -hmm. each one and see where they were before. Right, you know, right. What their dealings were mm -hmm. and stuff like that. That's and right. That's probably where you'll find it, you know. Well, there's no way to determine 
with 100% certainty. Well, with all that evidence, I'll go with John. I'm going to, well, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to stick with John, but I'm going to tell you, I don't know for sure. Yeah, yeah. But I'm going to call him John. So John was known well enough to get into the, into the household. Peter wasn't. He stopped at the door. So John went back, spoke to the doorkeeper, a servant girl, got Peter permission to enter in. And look what happens to Peter. As he's coming into the door, the servant girl said to Peter, are you not also one of this man's disciples? What? Are you, are you not also one, also com compared to what? Compared to John. See, it, apparently John didn't hide the fact. Here's who I am, I come in. And they're like, well, aren't you a disciple like him? So now I see Peter, I mean, we always look down on Peter because he's denied Jesus, right, three times. But now I'm, I'm looking at him standing side by side with another disciple who didn't deny Jesus. And now Peter's ask, are you with him? Aren't you another disciple? And Peter's answer, I am not. So here's his first denial. I am not. I'm not a disciple. It goes on, though. We find out there's a fire of coals. Peter goes over to warm himself. And now uh, the high priest is going to question Jesus about what's happening. Verse 19, the high priest then asked Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine. Jesus answered, I spoke openly to the world. I always taught in the synagogues, in the temple where the Jews always meet. And in secret, I have said nothing. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. Indeed, they know what I said. And when he said these things, one of the officers who stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand saying, do you answer the high priest like that? Jesus answered him, if I've spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why do you strike me? Then Ananias sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. And so Ananias begins to question Jesus. Only it's, it's um, a very open-ended, vague questioning. The verdict is already decided. They already know what they're going to do with Jesus. Ananias is just asking this vague question, trying, trying to see if Jesus will start talking. And if he talks enough, he'll hang himself. Yeah. If he talks enough, they'll find out. Ah, ha, ha, we knew you did something wrong. But Ananias is fighting a hopeless battle because he's talking to the sinless, perfect son of God. He's not going to find anything wrong. He's fishing for something that's not there. And so we see that this whole thing's a sham right from the get-go. It's happening at night. That's against Jewish law. Yes. There's an open-ended question without a clear accusation, a clear charge. That's against Jewish law. The reality that no charge has been brought, no witness has been brought in, that's against Jewish law. The Jews are breaking their own laws to try to right. convict Jesus. They're trying to use the legal system to justify a murder they know they're going to commit. That's right. That's what they're doing. And so Jesus answers the high priest by pointing out a legal argument. He says, I spoke openly. He said, I didn't say anything in secret. Why aren't you asking the ones who heard me? In other words, why don't you give me a charge? Why don't you bring a witness? That's right. He's bringing back to the Jewish law. Here's what the law says. Why aren't you doing it? He calls for Ananias to make a formal charge to present formal evidence. He's pointing out the hypocrisy of the high priest. Yeah. 
And at that moment, when he points out the hypocrisy of the high priest, everyone knows it. And the guy standing closest to him socks him in the mouth. That's right. But what are you going to do? He's proving his point. He's, he's God. He knows what you're doing. And so Jesus gets punched in the mouth by this guy, slapped around. Force is used against him because he exposes hypocrisy. Once again, breaks Jewish law. You're not allowed to harm someone you've arrested. You're not allowed to lay a hand on them if you haven't charged them. And once you have charged them, there's strict legal guidelines for what you can actually do in punishing them. So they're breaking the Jewish law again, but they're not concerned with that. Notice Jesus didn't react with vengeance when he was hit. He didn't retaliate in anger. He simply said, now listen, if I've done something evil, show it. Bring testimony. But if not, then why are you hitting me? And so he points out once again their hypocrisy. He's saying, look, if I've done something wrong, punish me. If I've just made an error of the law, correct me. But what are you doing hitting me? Because you know that's illegal. He's just pointing out the law they're supposed to follow. That's all he's doing. He's not getting hostile or anything like that. And Ananias couldn't get anywhere with him. And so he sends him to Caiaphas. Of course, once again, Caiaphas, he had to go there anyway because Caiaphas is going to have to be the one to take him to Pilate. Now, we just got a few more verses. We can figure that, finish this out. Verse 25, now Simon Peter stood and warned himself. Therefore, they said to him, you are not also one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him whose ear Peter had cut off, said, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter then denied again and immediately the rooster crowed. So here's Peter out there warming himself and some of the guys standing around the fire says, hey, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Now, aren't you one of those disciples too? And Peter says, whoa, no, not me. And now he's really up the creek because one of the high priest's servants is standing there and he said, hey, wait, 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 wait a minute. Didn't I see you in the garden? You know, that, that's, you know she's seen him in the garden. That, tells, that, that edifies that there was a lot of soldiers there because that got her attention. That brought yeah. some attention. If there was just a handful of soldiers in the middle of the night, yeah. I don't think anybody would have, no, oh, that's just somebody getting in trouble. But there was a big group. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there is, I'll just point that out. Well, and she's a relative of Malchus. <laughs> and her, yes, and a relative. So I don't know what kind of relative, but can you picture this? Here she is standing there by Peter and says, wait, 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 wait. didn't I see you in the garden? Weren't you the guy who cut off my uncle's ear? Now, I'm pretty sure you were that guy because I saw my uncle bleeding and I'm pretty sure you had that sword. Weren't you that guy? And Peter's like, not me. And of course, the rooster crows at that moment. Now, Luke in his gospel tells us at that moment, of course, Jesus and Peter see each other. They look at one another. The rooster crows and Peter runs off and weeps bitterly. Uh, the, the other gospels don't name Peter specifically as the guy who chopped off the ear. Yeah. A lot of people believe because John wrote his gospel so much later, Peter was already dead. No one had to worry about knowing Peter did it because no one could come back and try to get Peter for doing it. Yeah. So that's why that's kind of different there. You know, I, you know, I think that you know, Jesus allowed a lot to happen here. I mean, and you know, Peter did put his foot in his mouth and overstepped and everything, but the Lord allowed this to happen 
kind of to protect Peter because that wasn't legal what he did. That was. At, that's a that's right. That's know, right. They can arrest you for that. That's right. Like that. So I think there's something to that. That's right. That's right there. The, the deeper things. The, the disciples themselves were not guilty of any crime no. officially. There, there was no legal recourse to take against the disciples except for Peter mm -hmm. because he had assaulted someone with a sword. So he was on the hook for yeah. a criminal assault. And so you know, you're and, right. And, and he needed his heart tamed. Mm -hmm. And this ultimately tames Peter's heart and he becomes the rock. You're right. I mean, this is, this is when, we, when we see the resurrected Jesus restore Peter, everything changes. And see, he everything wasn't changed. lost. He didn't, get, he didn't lose his salvation or anything mm -hmm. through all that. And that's an important point that Jesus, when he says, I lose nobody, he means he loses nobody that knows him. That's right. And that's, that's why Judas was lost, because he really never really knew him. That's right. He knew his name. He knew the person. He knew about all the miracles and all the good stuff, but he didn't know it. He never willingly received him. That's right. He rejected him willfully. That's right. Well, listen, I want to thank everyone who's tuned in online, everyone who listens to the podcast, and super, really, I, I appreciate so much those who take time to be here on Wednesday nights to study with us. Tune in next week. We'll hopefully finish out chapter 18. We'll try. <laughs> we'll there. see. We'll see. <laughs> maybe so Christmas. Maybe so. You never can tell the way we go. <laughs> so thank you for tuning in. We're going to get to our prayer time here to church. We'll see y'all later. You have been listening to Along the Narrow Way, hosted by Pastor Will Russell and co-hosted by Jimmy Miller. If you haven't done so, subscribe to the podcast so you can get updates on new episodes. Thank you for listening, and remember to stay faithful to walk along the narrow way with Jesus.